you know this was coming. What's wrong with the word cultivate? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it's, just, it's redundant. <laughs> so how are we doing this morning, cultivate? Can we try one more time? Maybe you can hear me okay. How are we doing this morning? It's good to see you guys again. I was away uh, last week. You probably didn't notice because uh, you were too busy having fun and, and, uh, and uh, enjoying one another's company and uh, eating good food and uh, enjoying our life roots and all that they have to offer. And so I wasn't even necessary or needed here. Um, so I had a good time away. Mandy and, and I and Caleb went to see my sister. Um, for her birthday, she's 26, I can't believe that, but uh, she is somehow, I don't know, she's still 12 in my mind, so it's like <laughs> this weird thing where now there's this grown woman. Um, but we had a great time with her, um, got a little sick while we were there, so Caleb started and then he shared with the rest of us because he's such a great little kid, and uh, <laughs> so now we're kind of all dealing with that, as if uh, this winter didn't have enough uh, uh, sickness going on for us. Um, so that's why I'm a little hoarse this morning, so bear with me. Um, so, uh, what did you guys learn last week? Since I wasn't here, you tell me. Mm-hmm. <coughs> community. What's that? Community. Unity? Community. Oh. Community, good. I was hoping you didn't say unity, because I was going, I don't think that was the message. <laughs> Maybe you can like, change things up at the last moment. Uh, community, right. So... As, as long as it was kind of according to the script as we worked on it earlier in the week, uh, wherever the spirit shows up, there's community. And so the church is the product of that spirit. So the, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's more than just what we do on Sunday mornings. It's more than just uh, our sort of activity at working at uh, this whole thing called church and life. And so we had you know, a cartoon about a big red tractor that sort of illustrated that and, and how God is, is always at work in larger ways than what we can imagine. And so if we can kind of let our hands off the wheel for a moment and allow God to show up and work, oftentimes he can do more than what we could have asked, more than what we could have imagined, more than what we could have accomplished with our own strength and, and our own selves. Um, so that kind of uh, leads well back into the rest of our series. What we're doing is, uh, is called One Life, right? Uh, anybody sick of this series so far? We've been in this thing for six weeks now. How do we have stuff to even talk about anymore? Right? Uh, that was kind of the thought as we got into it. Oh my gosh, a 12-week series. Where, where are we going to go with this thing? We're going to be monotonous. We're, we're kind of turning the corner now, and uh, we're in the second half of this series. So for the first half, what we've been talking about is, uh, what is a Christian? And we're going to continue that a little bit. Um, but we're going to sort of redirect our focus now that we're in the second half uh, because we have a major event coming down the pipe, uh, and that event is called Easter. And Easter changes everything. Uh, Easter is the high watermark. It is the, the pinnacle of the calendar year for what it means to be a Christian, to follow Christ, to live in Him. And so everything that kind of from now until then is we're sort of following Jesus on His road from where He starts out his ministry to where he ends up uh, in this empty tomb. We're going to talk about what that means. Um, But throughout this entire series, right, we've been asking this question. This is the big question for us. What is a Christian? Um, And so let's uh, kind of rehearse the answer 
of that together. A Christian is someone, you can kind of say this along with me, right? A Christian is someone who follows Jesus by devoting his one life to God's kingdom dream for the world. Um, so again, this, this kingdom dream that God has for the world, it draws us in. Uh, it, it, is, it is much bigger than us and our particular one life. But when we get the aha moment, when our life becomes more about what God is up to in the world and what he's up to in my life, that's when our one life becomes a kingdom dream along with what God's doing in the world. Um, that's when we start investing ourselves in bigger things than what our particular life has to offer. And we see our life as just one sort of grain of sand uh, on an entire beach of, of God's activity in the world. Um, and so that's kind of where we are, where we're going. If you want to put it in a very simple fashion, we've been saying that followers of Jesus follow Jesus. It's that simple. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus and plug your, your fingers in your ears and go, I want nothing to do with what Jesus is and where he's going and what he's doing. Uh, followers of Jesus follow him. And so what we've been doing through the series is, is kind of the question of the question is, where is Jesus going? We need to know that question really well because we can say that we follow Jesus, but we can follow sort of a, an incomplete shadow picture of Jesus rather than the, the actual person who's heading in a specific direction. And so as we understand who Jesus is and where he's heading and what he's doing in the world, we can start to say with clarity, I know what God's calling me to do because I'm trying to follow that picture. Uh, and so we've been correcting a lot of these misperceptions of who Jesus is and what he was about. Things like love and justice and peace and wisdom, all these things that we think we've got a good handle on, but as we look at scripture, we think to ourselves, ah, maybe not. Maybe God has another idea. Maybe he has a bigger picture. Um, and so this, this idea of following Jesus, right, it's, it's, a, it's more than a one-time decision. Uh, it's more than a prayer when I was 12 and I'm sort of saved the rest of the way through and I can go on living my life the way I'd like to. Thank you very much. Uh, it is more than just doing our best, striving in everything to be a better person, to be a more moralistic individual. We can do that without Jesus, right? Uh, so we need to know where he's headed, and we need to commit ourselves to following after where he's going. And so that actually brings us to what we're going to be looking at this morning, which is uh, the committed life. Um, no, not the institutionalized life. That is something entirely different. We're looking at what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. So, um, one of the questions we have to ask then is, what does it mean to be committed to something? Um, is, is commitment to something uh, realistic? Is it something that we can give ourselves to? So here's a, a definition that I've been working on um, for the word committed. To be committed to something means to give in trust to another. It means to give in trust to another. Um, it, it means to hand over, in a sense, the outcome uh, to another because you trusted in that individual or in that idea or in that person or whatever. Uh, you're entrusting yourself to something. So when uh, I signed up for a gym a couple years ago, I entrusted a certain amount of my money to them thinking that the outcome would be a more physically healthy lifestyle. 
It turns out that you need to devote more than just money to a gym to, to get physically healthy, right? Um, it requires a little bit more than that. So I, you know, I've been trying it the other way, and it just hasn't worked out so far. Um, but I give my, you know, my bill every month, thinking that it will result in less weight, and it's just so. There's something missing there, right? What's the missing element? To show up. Yeah, to show up. Right? I, I, I can't just give my money. I need to commit my time also. But if I do those two things, this is the way it's supposed to work anyway, the outcome will be that the gym will result in a more physically healthy lifestyle. Now, there are some other components involved there, but that's basically the idea. I entrust certain things to the gym, and the outcome is different because of that commitment. Does that make sense? So let's think about this in a few different ways. Um, when I got married to Manny, I gave my marital vows to her. I gave a commitment to her. Um, and the, the result of that commitment is a life together, right? Um, I, I can't walk away from that commitment. I've already made that commitment um, through everything, right? Through sickness and in health and all these other... We're pledging ourselves. We're entrusting our future to another individual. And the outcome of that entrusting is a lifestyle which remains bonded together until what? What's the phrase? Yeah. Yeah. So to do his part. That's the commitment, right? Um, we don't make that commitment lightly. Uh, when someone is, I'll use this example, when someone's committed to an institution, it's the same idea, right? You are giving that person over to the institution, trusting that the outcome will be what the institution says it is. So for a correctional facility or whatever, the hope, the, the hope outcome, the expected outcome is that they will come out a different individual than they went in. That you're committing their time uh, to that institution for a new outcome, right? That's kind of the way commitments work. When you give someone your word, that, that's the same idea. You give it in commitment. It's a commitment that you're going to uphold what it is that you said you would do. So when you commit your word to someone, you're, you're entrusting that that word will come back to you in the same way that it was given. So if I commit that I'm going to be with someone on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., um, the outcome should be that I'm there with them at Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. I've entrusted that word to them, and then I fulfill it. Does that make sense? So a commitment is to give and trust to another. Um, if you want to think about it this way, it is a, it's a calling to stick things out rather than flee. Um, so with all these things, the, the temptation for many people when they make commitments is when things don't work out the way they thought they did, they, they should, um, then my action is to rearrange my commitment. It's either to break my commitment or it's to find some way to get out of my commitment so that I don't have to sort of follow that same path of, of giving my word, giving myself, giving my time, maybe giving my money. Um, so let me ask this. Uh, how many people here like when people break their commitments to them? Show of hands. Anybody just love it? Somebody promises something to you and then doesn't fulfill it? it I'm the only one. <laughs> it's not a fun feeling, right? Uh, why? Because that trust has been broken. You, you've trusted the other person. You've given them something. They've broken that trust, and now you're dealing with the broken pieces of that. 
Um, but here's the thing. So we, we kind of live in a society that doesn't really like a whole lot of commitment, right? I mean, that's kind of a true statement. It, in general, we like to give commitments, but we don't like to follow through on those commitments. Is that pretty true? So I'll give you a couple examples. How, does anybody know the statistics? How many marriages end in divorce these days? 50%. About 50%. Yeah. People say, till death do us part, but what happens? The parting comes before death, and then everything's messed up in the process. Uh, and so people use all kinds of sort of mental gymnastics to get out of their commitment. Well, I didn't really mean it at the time. Well, if you didn't, you know, uh, or my heart has changed since then, or they've changed since then. And so all of those things we see as deal breakers, that they allow us to, to kind of get out of our commitment. Um, Jeff would know a lot about this. What happened with the home mortgage crisis? A lot of people made commitments to, to a mortgage and were not able to meet those commitments. And so sometimes the terms of that commitment change, and when they did, people realized they didn't have the income to keep up with that commitment, and so their home went into foreclosure. And so now we're, we're dealing with the repercussions of that. Home prices have dropped and all that stuff. How about the sports world? Um, th this is an easy one, right? Uh, athletes love to keep their promises, right? Yeah. They just love them. Uh, and so an athlete will sign a contract at one ability level, right, when they, when they get out of college or when they get out of the minors or whatever, they'll sign like a 10-year deal at, so, at some amount. And it seems like this astronomical amount. How could anyone ever want to break that deal, right? They're making out like bandits. All they got to do is play baseball or football. And, and the return is incredible. The amount of money that they get in prestige is just unbelievable for what they've given. That's a good commitment. But what happens? They get a few years into that commitment, they start hitting more home runs, they start scoring more touchdowns, they become a better athlete, their image inflates in their own minds, and, and, and now what happens? I want a better deal. This is a raw deal you guys gave me. I'm only getting $10 million a year. I mean, it's lunacy, but it's, it's the way the world works, right? I want a better deal. The commitment that I made to you is now not valid because things have changed. I want a new deal. I want a new commitment. Um, it's a good thing that we never break our promises in the church world, right? Oh, man, he did it to us again. He got us thinking about the world and how bad it is, and then he just brought it right here in the room and sat in our laps. He does that. Um, but we kind of work that way in the church as well. Um, oftentimes we commit, we oversell things and ask people to, to commit to them and then we kind of drop the, the, the floor out. Um, and, and a lot of the way that this has often worked in the world of church is that we've asked people to commit their lives to Jesus without sharing the cost of what it actually means to follow Jesus. And so you may have heard a pitch, something like this. If you just give your life to Christ, if you just call on his name and receive him with an open heart, uh, if you just pray a prayer in honesty, then God will come in and fill you, and the rest of your life will be rosy and dandy. You'll live a life you never knew, and, and heaven is guaranteed for you, and on and on. So what have we done? Oversold. Over so in our, in our effort to get people to know and to love Jesus, who loves and gave himself for them, 
and, and offers himself to us now through the cross and his resurrection, this open invitation that Christ gives, we undersell the difficult parts of it. And we oversell the benefits of it. And the result many times is that people commit to something that they have no idea what they're committing to. Life often gets worse, not better. And so people spend a couple of years in that, and they go, I'm not, this isn't good. So, so what happens is you have a lot of people out there who have committed themselves to Jesus, who have committed their lives to him, but what they really mean by that is that they committed their afterlife to him, right? So Jesus is the Lord of my afterlife. Jesus, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We cling to that verse and we say eternal life starts when I die. And Jesus will be the Lord of my life thereafter. But today, yeah, i got some stuff I want to do. You know? I'm pretty fond of my relationships. I, I don't really want Jesus messing with those. I like to sleep in on Sunday mornings. I, I, Jesus was really good when it was all, you know, when I was motivated to do it, but now things are getting kind of difficult. I'm in that sort of dip phase, and I don't feel like following through with my commitment. What now? Well, Jesus will still love you in the afterlife because you prayed a prayer. That's often the way we do it. And so the church often has let people off the hook and made Christianity about life to come and not life today. So we have a whole bunch of people who claim to be Christians have absolutely no intention of following him. Absolutely no intention of being disciples of him. That's a tragedy. And it's part of the reason why people look at the church and go, why would I want to invest in that? Why would I want to be a part of that if people say that they're about one thing and yet they live their lives in a different way? We see it as no contradiction, right? Jesus is my afterlife. The outside world looks in and says, you broke your commitment. That's the way that they look at it. And so I'm not going to be part of a hypocritical group of people who break their commitments. That's of no benefit for me. So what is it that you offer me today? Um, when I was uh, part of my first church that, that I was a part of, um, I would say it was a great group of people. They were fantastic. I, I came to know Jesus because of their love for me, um, for our family. Uh, I, I grew up in that church uh, spiritually, not physically, because I didn't come to faith until I was in college. But it was a, a significant uh, community of people to me. So don't, don't kind of get this wrong. Um, but there was no song that they sung louder than this one hymn. Most songs that we sung, most activities that we did, people did with all the passion of going to the IRS. To be honest. Um, you know, it was, I'll go and I'll stand in line and I'll do my thing, I'll put in my time. Um, but when this one hymn played, everything changed. Can, can anybody guess what that hymn might be? Amazing Grace. No, not quite. Is it, have you ever heard of this? It's called I'll Fly Away. Mm -hmm. How does it go? Anybody? Uh, yeah, I can't say it because my voice is bad. So I'll read some of the lyrics to you. <coughs> when 
the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. The next verse. Just a few more weary days, and then I'll fly away. Uh, to a land where joy shall never end, I'll fly away. And then the chorus is, I'll fly away, O glory. I'll fly away in the morning. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Don't miss this, because as Christians, we should be longing for the day when Jesus returns. Don't miss that. Jesus will and is on his way to return to earth to make all things new, to make all things right, to initiate a new heaven and a new earth. And that day will be heaven for us. Don't miss that. We as Christians need to long for and expect that day coming. But, here's the big but, we should not view our lives as a few more weary days until Jesus comes in and saves us all. Um, I had a, one of the people in the congregation, I, I love her dearly. Uh, she was a friend, uh, the mother of one of my closest friends, um, but she lived her life in such a way that whenever something bad happened, she would talk about the rapture. So if she had a bad day at work, oh, Jesus, just come back. Please come back. Rapture me. Uh, every, you know, every time something difficult would happen in a relationship, when's Jesus coming back? And so what this does, in some sense, I, I understand what she's saying. We all long for a day when everything is renewed and everything is refreshed when God has his say and the, the curtains are drawn and we get to enjoy his presence fully and know him fully even as we are fully known. I get all that. Um, but what does that say about our commitment to Jesus and living his kingdom dream if we live our lives in such a way that we're always looking to escape from it? Right? Um, and, and here's the thing. Did Jesus really call us to this kind of life? Where it's more about escapianity than Christianity. It's more about going away from the people that God's called us to rather than pressing in to love them more as Jesus would have us love them. Um, I would submit to you that, that if you read your Bible carefully, that it's, it's the inverse. It's the opposite of that. Um, if you read your Bible carefully and you read the words of Jesus with a microscope, you'll see that Jesus talked more about life on earth than life in heaven. Why is that? It's not because it didn't matter, right? To Jesus, life here matters in a big way. And so we're actually going to look at that um, a little bit in the passage uh, from Matthew 19. Um, Jesus was teaching people, <clears throat> and suddenly someone comes and intersects his life. Um, and this is the story that's often called the rich young ruler. Um, so we'll pick it up in verse 16. Uh, Jesus was teaching the people, so just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? We'll pause right there. In other words, Jesus... Uh, I've got everything I need in this life. What good thing do I need to do now to get the afterlife that you offer? You've been talking a lot about this kingdom. You've been talking a lot about the kingdom of heaven. 
and God and the Father and life afterwards? What good thing do I need to do in this life so that I get the afterlife? In other words, Jesus, what are the minimum requirements? You know, what prayer do I have to pray? What good thing do I have to do? What, how much do I have to reach into my pocket to give in order to get that? What kind of commitment are you looking for? And, and can I kind of scrape by and skid by so that, that you'll give me what I need? Here's Jesus' response in verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Let me ask this. What word is missing? Um, what's that? Yeah, eternal. Why is that? The guy comes to him and says, Jesus, what do I need to get eternal life? Life after. What's Jesus' response? If you want to enter life, follow the commandments. So in other words, the contrast is the, the guy wants to know about afterlife. Jesus is saying, if you want real life, it starts now. If you want to know what I'm really about in the world, it begins today. And it begins by following the commandments. Um, so here's what he said. The, the guy responds, which ones? And Jesus answers, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. So he goes through some of the, the Ten Commandments. Um, and he adds this one, love your neighbor as yourself. We talked about that a little bit. And who is my neighbor? Um, his response is kind of amazing. He says this, all these things I've kept. The young man said, uh, what do I still lack? In other words, life here is still kind of meaningless. It's, it hasn't lived up to my expectations by following these things that you've told me about. What am I missing? Um, so, in other words, he still thinks the best is yet to come. What Jesus is preoccupied with today. Um, I've done the minimum requirements and life hasn't changed for me. I have doesn't feel like I've entered life. And so Jesus' response is this. In verse 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go... Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. But then come follow me. Uh, don't miss this, because often we can hear the word perfect and think it means without error, with you know, having perfection. What Jesus is in the Greek it's the word telos. It's the same word that Jesus used from the cross when he said what? It is finished. Um, and so if he's saying, if you want to be finished, if you want God's work in your life to be carried to its completion, do this. And what does he tell him to do? Obviously, the guy is pretty well off, right? Um, because he, he, it, it says in just a minute he had great wealth. But Jesus says, go sell everything that you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then you follow me. So the big idea that Jesus gives to him is, you're so incredibly worried about the afterlife. You have business to do here. If you take care of that business, commit to me, I'll take care of the afterlife. So if you go, sell everything you have, give to the poor. In other words, if you 
follow me in my mission. He's already talked about being about the poor, right? Um, that's what Jesus primarily concerned himself with. In many instances, was caring for and being there for the poor. He, he framed his entire ministry around this. And then he says to him, if you're really going to be about life, if you want to enter life, the way to do it is to be concerned about the things that I'm concerned about. Follow me, and then I'll take care of the rest. If you entrust yourself to me, trust me enough with this life as you do, as you seem to do with your next life. So often we, we want to trust Jesus for our next life, and we have no intention of letting him have any work in our life today. That's incredibly unbiblical. Um, that's incredibly not the way that Jesus worked. Um, but here's the thing. We often read a passage like this, see that the expectations are set so high. I mean, they're to the ceiling, right? He, he expects him to do what? To go and sell everything that he's got, give it away to the poor, and then come follow him? I mean, that's a pretty high expectation that Jesus is raising uh, and so often what we've done as a church is we taught passages like this as if they're a way to say um, Jesus was just pointing out the fact that we can never really follow him. Did you ever hear that? He, he's just increasing the gap to such an extent to say that we never can follow him perfectly. Therefore, we need grace, we need the cross, we need his resurrection, and on and on. Um, but so often what that does is it erases any attempt to follow him. And so we say, we just throw our hands up in the air and we go, well, it's impossible. can't really follow Jesus. Um, Jesus, come and be my, my Lord and my Savior. I give you my afterlife, but I'm going to live the way I want to live today. It's resulted in some pretty inaccurate ways to, to be a Christian in the world. I think the correction to that is to say, look, um, Jesus will always require more of us than we're willing to give him. Always. He will always push us past our comfort zone of what we're able to give, what we're willing to give. Um, and the example is this guy, this rich young guy, uh, who had everything in life that he needed. And Jesus says, you're allowing that thing, that, that wealth that you, that you own, to stand between you and my mission for your life. It's standing between you and my dream for who you should be. And so you need to get that, that blockage out of the way in order for you to come follow me. For us, that might be a different thing. It may be well. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. Um, but following Jesus always means that God will require something uncomfortable from us. Um, the rich young man was looking for something to live the minimum requirements, and Jesus demanded the finished work of God in his life. That's what Jesus demanded. So being committed to Jesus means that we trust him enough that he gets the first say in the way that we live our lives. He gets to, to shape the conversation, not us. Um, he puts it this way in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. If, if you love Jesus, then the result will be that it is a life that's shaped more and more by what he says to do and where he's going. You can't follow someone unless you're willing to go with them. Um, Jesus makes this direct correlation between our love for him and our willingness to follow what he says for our lives. It, it's not motivated out of guilt. Don't miss that. 
It's never out of guilt. It is always out of a place of love. But we can't say that we love him and yet want nothing to do with where he's leading us. Um, he puts it this way further down in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Uh, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So in other words, if you have my commands, if you know what it is that I'm asking of you, and you do what I say, then my Father will look on you and smile. The afterlife will be taken care of. Not only that, um, but I will show myself to them. So if, if you're thinking to yourself, what is God's mission in my life? What is, how does his kingdom dream connect with where I am? Sometimes we can be blocked from that because we're not allowing him entrance into our life because we don't follow what he says for us to do. How can God show up in your life if you don't let him have access? It's the same thing with wisdom. You can't be a wise person unless you listen to the wise one. It works the same way. Um, but too often we have people that, that think that they're Christians but have no intention of living for them. Um, Scott McKnight kind of puts it this bluntly. Um, he says this, We have too many Christians who have accepted Jesus in their hearts, who have been baptized, who have confessed their sins, who have joined the church, uh, and who are in Bible studies, <clears throat> and who are absolutely 100% convinced that they are going to heaven, but who are not followers of Jesus. Wow. See, the, the mark of a follower of Jesus is that they have given, they've committed, they've entrusted their one life to God's kingdom dream for the world, and that only comes through Jesus. So you can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and not entrust both this life and the life to come to his plan for you. If you only entrust the life to come, Scott and Knight would say, well, you're not a follower of Jesus. And I would probably agree with it. I don't say that to condemn anyone. I say that to for us to take a, maybe a difficult look at ourselves in a, in a different kind of mirror so that we can ask ourselves difficult questions and arrive at a different answer. Um, so what it means is being committed to him, it's that simple, right? But it's, it's that demanding as well. And here's the thing, nobody ever fulfills it perfectly, but that doesn't sort of allow us not to follow it. Um, so being committed to love, it means not just loving your friends and the people that you like, but it means loving your enemies, right? That's what Jesus said. Being committed to justice means not just giving a few bucks in the offering plate, but using every influence that God has given you for the sake of those with no influence and no power. Um, being committed to peace isn't just a call to personal tranquility in my own life and all oh, things are just right with the world. It's a call to actively seek peace with everyone who you happen to be around. Jesus' commitment always pushes us past our comfort zones. It always requires from us more than we're able, more than we're willing to give. And so we kind of arrive at this choice. We can either be satisfied with only allowing Jesus access to our afterlife, and we can dismiss all of the words that he gave through the Gospels as being too demanding and unrealistic, 
and just never allow ourselves to fulfill them. Or you and I can take those words as a summons to give ourselves to him and to his dream for our lives. Knowing that we will never fulfill it perfectly, and yet God still has a plan when we say yes to him in this life. Because when we do that, Jesus said, I'll show myself to you. That's the way that it works. Um, that's what it means to commit to him. Um, we can either live our lives as, as an escape from the world, or we can live our lives in such a way that it moves us on a path with Jesus towards those people that are unlike us in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our job, in our family. Um, it, it will move us in that direction so that God can use us towards those people to the ends that he has because Jesus sent his son for those people too. As a church, this is what we want to be about. Not escaping from the world, but pressing into it and saying, God, we are committed we are entrusting this church, this body of people, to you so that you can work your ends out in this community. Because we believe you've placed us here for a reason. We're not escaping from it. We're pressing in towards it with all its imperfections, with all of our imperfections, with all of our quirks, with all of our sins, uh, with all of our imperfections. We are still going to pursue your mission for this church in this community because that's the way that Jesus would have us live our lives together. Um, that's what it means to commit to. We, we give our lives away. Everything that's in them. Possessions, desires, commitments, all of that we give to him, to his one life, and that he uses it for his glory. Um, the way that the Bible puts this in Matthew 16, 25 is, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's the principle of commitment. When we give our one life to him, we find it more than we ever expected. Not just in the next life, which would be fantastic when we get there, but we find for ourselves a better life than we could have imagined for ourselves here. We find ourselves used in more ways than we could have pictured for our lives today. Um, a great example of this <coughs> is a guy by the name of Bill Bright. Um, Bill Bright was the founder of an organization that I was a part of called Campus Crusade for Christ. And don't let the name scare you off. It's kind of popular back in the 50s. But he started it back in 1951 on the campus of UCLA. Um, and, and it has grown a little bit since then. Just a little bit. Um, one of the things that Bill was clear about, though, uh, was that God had required of him very early on, before it all started, a commitment to follow him um, and, and God's plan for his life. You actually have a copy in your program this morning of the commitment that Bill signed. See, Bill was a, a businessman, and he was kind of used to um, signing contracts. Uh, he spent the early part of his career life um, in business, doing work, and, and so it was logical to him that if he were going to leave that world and start a ministry, that he would sign a contract with God. Um, and so this is the contract that he signed. Uh, it was called the deed to his life. Him and his wife both signed this. It says, on this day, I relinquish all rights 
of my life to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I acknowledge that my life is not my own and choose instead to live each day as a slave of Jesus. I surrender fully to him as best I know how, every possession, relationship, ambition, and desire. As one who is crucified with Christ, I hereby follow, I hereby choose to follow wherever he would lead, to live for him and his glory. A year before he died, um, he gave an interview um, where he said he, that he took that prayer so seriously that he oriented every single day of his life to a recommitment to that personal contract that he made with God. Um, every day, Goldbright would start his day out on his knees by his bedside and pray a prayer similar to this. God, I am yours today. Um, these hands are yours. Come and use them to do your work. My mouth is yours. Come and speak through it to give life to people who need it. Uh, my feet are yours today. Carry me wherever you'd have me go. His entire life, uh, from the moment he signed that contract to the very end, was a process of living out that commitment to God. Um, he's one of the most, most faithful men I've, I've ever had the experience of, of hearing their story. Um, and the result of it was, he, he signed this contract on a Sunday afternoon. 24 hours later, God gave him the vision for Campus Crusade for Christ. Today, it is the largest missionary organization in the world. It has something like 24,000 full-time staff members. I was, I was part of it. Um, half a million volunteers. They're in 192 countries around the world. Um, if you ask Bill before he died, because he was kind of a statistician, how many people you affected, um, he would count it in the hundreds of millions of people who have been saved by the grace of God through that organization. Think about how massive an impact that is. Um, they developed and showed something called the Jesus Film. It's the most watched film in the history of motion pictures. Something like over a billion people have seen it. Um, that kind of impact around the world began with a simple commitment by his bedside with his wife saying, I'm yours, God. Do with my life what you wish. And I'm going to live out the rest of my days trying to fulfill, trying to live up to that contract. That's a huge thing. He, he saw the, the benefit of saying, God, use my life. I'm committed to you. And the result of that was that God showed up in a major way through him and through the people that joined him in his mission. Um, I don't want to put myself on the same plane because it's not at all. Um, but back in December, I was faced with a difficult decision myself. Um, and, and in the process of trying to decide where Mandy and I uh, should end up going when the whole separation thing happened with Discovery, whether or not we should stay with Discovery or stay in Wardens or, or leave and go somewhere else, um, I had continually asked God throughout that process, well, if I stay in Wardens, God... I'm going to need a vision. I'm going to need your direction and your guidance as to where you would have me go and what you have this community do. Um, so, God, I need you to show up. Will you show up? Um, and 
Here's the thing. God didn't reveal any vision until after I was saved. So I made the decision. I felt like I'm, I'm hearing from God. Um, Mandy's hearing from God. He, he is absolutely 100% telling us to stay in wardens, to stick it out, to, to follow our commitment to shepherd people here, um, the people that we've invested our lives in for two years, to remain there and, and to continue to do that work following after God. I made that commitment, and not one week later, God gave me the vision for what's now cultivated. Um, so I, I think, okay, maybe it kind of works that way in general. Maybe it kind of works that way for our life. God is saying to us, if you just follow me, then I'll show you. But I'm not going to show you until you follow me. That's the way faith works. Um, and, and so often we get those things backwards, right? So let's, let's come back to our definition of a Christian and kind of tweak it again. Um, so a Christian is someone who follows Jesus by devoting his or her one life to God's kingdom dream for the world, by committing their whole life to Jesus, committing their whole life to this one and the next. Um, I believe that as we do that together, God will reveal, God will show up, God will use us in an incredible way. The thing is, though, guys, we need to commit. We need to sign on the dotted line and say, yes, God, I'm yours. Use this life. Because you can do more with it than I can. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you're so invested in this world that you desire for this world far more than we do. And so often, God, we're looking for a way out. You're looking for a way in. Uh, and so sometimes, God, we, we, miss, we miss the ball on that. And so we confess that to you. That, that sometimes we, we don't see the world as you do. God, we ask that you come, you change our minds on this world, that, that you would redirect our focus, not away from this world, but back towards it, that we would see that, that you're at work in this place, that you want to use us in a significant way, and that when we commit to you, God, you'll show us the path and path of our lives, that we're searching, we're looking for place that our one life connects with your kingdom and dream. So God, come and help us to commit to you so that you can come and show us the way. Lord, we thank you, God, for uh, the commitment that your son made to us that made all this possible. We ask for his glory and for his sake.